Well, we're back in James this morning. Go ahead and make your way over to James chapter 3. We'll be finishing that up. Uh, And in this section of James, we are going to be learning about wisdom. Uh, The opening words of John Calvin's Institutes are as follows. Our wisdom is, so far as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. Uh, Wisdom depends on knowledge. It it absolutely requires true information, right? But uh, it's also far more than knowledge. It it involves knowing what to do with this true knowledge that we have. And and then there's one more also very important aspect of of wisdom. Let me explain it with a little bit of a story. Uh, um, As our children were growing up, we've kept what we call a, a funny book over the years. And it's just where you write down anything funny or ridiculous your children say if you got kids I highly encourage you to do that because we forgot all these funny things they say and then we read them and we get to laughing again and again <clears throat> so uh, anyway I uh, recently read one of these that I had absolutely forgotten uh, but uh, the situation is uh, Sadie Piper is in elementary school uh, age and she shouts down the hall one morning dad are we gonna ride our bikes today and I shout on back down the hall There's an 80% chance of rain today. I don't think it will be wise to ride today. And I thought, well, the conversation's over. We've just discussed it. We're not riding bikes, clearly, right? But maybe 30 seconds later, she shouts down the hall, so yes or no, are we riding bikes? Right, the idea of let's, let's put wisdom into practice, that it's actually something we do. It requires, you know, wisdom, know, knowing what to do with, with right knowledge. And, and finally, right, often the most difficult part for many of us, whether we are in elementary school or not, it requires actually doing the wise thing. Uh, I don't know if we rode bikes or not that day. Hopefully not. Uh, anyway, the, the wisdom that James is, is going to challenge us with today is of far greater significance than... Uh, than when it's wise to ride your bicycle in the rain or not. This wisdom is not about whether it's, it's wise to marry this guy or to marry this, this woman, right? It's, it's, not, um, it's not wisdom about what career should you follow. And I know these are the things we sometimes want. It, it, it might not even help you answer, you know, should we move here or should we get out of the army or should we adopt children or, or things of that nature? Uh, because the wisdom that James is confronting us with today is this deeper foundational wisdom. What I mean is these 109 words are going to expose your heart in a way that you might not like it, and hopefully you're getting used to it, because James seems to be doing that to us over and over and over again. Uh, See, in this passage, God is challenging the way that that you relate to yourself. He's challenging the way that you relate to others. And ultimately, really, God is challenging the way that you and I relate to, to Him, to God. So we'll get into it. We'll, we'll see that here. Let's, let's go ahead and read. We're going to be reading James chapter 3, verse 13. Wow, we're going to go further than that. We're going to start in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false in the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers, the flower fades. Again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we want to learn from you as you have spoken through your servant James some 2,000 years ago. We, we want to learn wisdom, and, and so we are asking you this morning to enlighten our minds, soften our hearts, so that we might be convicted in areas that we need to grow and, and that we may walk away today being, being changed by your powerful word here found in, in James 3.13-18. through 18. Uh, It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so James begins this this section with a, a general question, right? Who is wise in understanding among you? And, and a question like that rises you to, to look up and begin to look around and think about the people in your life, to, to start thinking through who are the wise people. And, and, and that really means, and this is what I think really James wants you to do, is, is at some point, immediately actually, you've got to come up with this criteria. What is wisdom? When I look at someone, what do I expect to find in them to know whether they are, are wise or not? What, what, what's your criteria? And, and even in your own mind, if you were to stake the time and really think through that, you'd begin to start seeing some, some ideas. And, and, you know, question, right? Do, do you picture some old sage-like individual, like holding his hands like this, you know, as he talks to you or something like that, you know, listening to you with that occasion? Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? And, and then just spouting out some Yoda-like answer. You know, Jim, this is what you need to do. Do or do not. There is no try. So, something like that. I mean, that tends to be what comes to our mind. That's what we see in Hollywood. We read in the stories. That's the wise person who suddenly says something that sounds wise to us. And it, it might catch you, catch you off guard then that James' description of the wise individual, it's not even based on the advice that this individual gives. It's based on the life that this individual lives. Now, if you remember, James taught us that faith is observable, and he's saying the same thing about true, godly wisdom from above here. So still in verse 1, he says, of uh, the wise person, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, James is, is telling us here that, that wisdom is not primarily heard in words, but it's seen in deeds. And, and, and you see that phrase, by good conduct, right there? That's, that's speaking about the individual, like the wise person. Let, let's talk about that person's conduct, good conduct. Now, in, in Greek, there's four different words that you can use for, for good. Uh, the word that James is using here, here's your Greek lesson for the, the day, right? Kalos, K-A-L-O-S is kind of how it gets transliterated. Uh, kalos, and it, it doesn't mean good in the sense of following a, a bunch of rules, right? You wouldn't tell the boy who does everything right, you know, he was told to do there. It's not like that was good of you. It's, it's a different word. It actually means beautiful. That, that's what this word means. Now, are, are you familiar with the word calligraphy, right? That fancy kind of drawing or writing? Uh, that's actually from two Greek words, graphe, meaning to write, and the word that we're using right here, kalos, it gets turned into a C in the English, right? But kalos, meaning beautiful writing. That's what calligraphy means. Uh, here, James is saying that the wise person's way of living is observably, observably beautiful. His way of living is lovely. Her, her way of, of going through life is attractive. It is, it is visible wisdom, if you will. And, and this sort of wisdom is, is not the result of more information, Right? It's not, wow, that person's brilliant. They know everything. It's, it's different than that. And, and, and we see this at the end of verse 13. Have a look at it, right? Uh, that, that true wisdom comes only by, by this 
meek, yielding to both God's word and, and, and to God's providence. And, and when you hear that word meekness, we really have a struggle with that word meekness in English, right? Don't think weak, right? Don't, don't think weak. Don't think passive. Don't think shy. Men, don't think feminine. That's not what meek means. Jesus, our, our Lord, a, a strong carpenter by trade, right? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, actually describes himself by this exact same word, meekness. I think in the ESV it gets translated as gentle, uh, right? So think gentle, think humble, think trusting God in the moment, by moment living uh, of your life. That's the meekness of wisdom that they're saying. When you look at someone and you want to see, are they wise in the way that God calls us to be wise? The wisdom that comes from above, is that what we're seeing in them? And so then, remember back in chapter 2, uh, James presented us with two types of faith, and, and we, we kind of, there was true faith and, and that faith, or uh, anyway, living faith and that faith. We, I think we call them true faith and false faith. And in a, in a similar way, James is laying out wisdom here in two ways. It's not that they're both really wisdom. Only one is true, real wisdom, but he lays them out in two different types of wisdom, um, and, and they're wildly different from each other. One is outside of this world. It comes down from God above wisdom. Uh, and, and the other James describes here as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now let's, let's first consider this, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. It's laid out in verses 14 through 16. Uh, and as we do this, <clears throat> I, I want you to really evaluate your own heart according to this, right? Because he is writing to Christians, not, not unbelievers. And the idea is some of these things are, are residual. They, they sneak into our life, our, our way of actually doing things. And, and so really evaluate, not yes or no, but to what degree do I actually struggle with this? Now, if there is someone or, or, or many people that you look at with, with bitter jealousy, right? That's the first thing he's getting at. That they have what you want and don't have. And maybe that's wealth and maybe that's beauty. And maybe that's a certain personality that's outgoing or extroverted or likable or bold or whatever it might be. That they have a, a particular position or title that you think that you deserve. They, they, they have some healthy marriage or something about their marriage that you want or a child or, or, or they're intellectually brilliant. There's something about this person, something they have that you are bitter at them because you don't have it instead of them. You see, earthly wisdom leads us to find our identity, to find our, our self-worth and status and in position and in power. And it's, if that's you, you'll find a, a, as long as somebody else has what you think you deserve, you are going to be miserable in life. As Dan Doriani says here, he says, Envious thoughts lead to a host of evils, boasting, quarreling, grasping, and criticism of rivals. Bitter jealousy is the opposite of grace. For jealousy wants to take from somebody else what they have rather than willingly giving what God has provided you with to others. And deep down, you know you, you can't be bitterly jealous for a neighbor and also love her well. James also says if you have selfish ambition in your hearts, <clears throat> that's not the wisdom that God gives. So what is selfish ambition? It really throws us for a loop again, right? Because we're like, ambition's good. You should go after things, and, and you should, right? 
Uh, selfish ambition is not just any ambition. It's not what we might call aspirations. It's, it's not wrong for you to, to seek a promotion in the workplace. It's not wrong to, to work hard so you can become first chair in the orchestra. Aspirations can be good things. Goals are good things. Uh, we, we see some particularly good uh, ambitions in the scriptures. First Thessalonians 4.11 calls us to aspire to live quietly. And you're like, ah, really? Yeah, that's what it actually calls you to aspire to. 2 Corinthians 5.9 calls us to make it our aim to please the Lord. Yeah, that's a good goal in life, right? To please the Lord. Paul in Romans 15.20 declares <clears throat> it's his ambition. He uses the word ambition to preach the gospel in places where Jesus is not known. I mean, these are good ambitions. And they don't all have to be super spiritual in this sense, right? It is good for you to have a, a taste for life and a dream, to have goals, to develop uh, the gifts and the skills that the Lord has provided you with. Whether we're talking teaching or music or writing or running or baking or, or whatever it is, you should have ambitions uh, in life, right? Certainly, to be, we all want to be ambitious, to be more Christ-like. So then, if that's not what selfish ambition is talking about, what is it? Selfish ambition is an ambition that is driven by some degree of narcissism. The, the person who is selfishly ambitious pursues what they want at any means necessary. All while harboring grudges against those who have already achieved what they actually desire. To, to quote Doriani one more time, he says, Selfish ambition is a divisive willingness to split the group in order to achieve personal power or prestige. And so with this in mind, honestly... How much of your life is driven by some degree of that selfish ambition? And this is important to consider. Because the reality is that selfish ambition will, will slowly but surely devour your soul. That, that's where it's going and you know because you've felt that nastiness before. And, and so then the last bit in verse 14 says, Do not boast and be false in the truth. By, by that James simply means, you know, uh, if you're filled with bitter jealousy um, and selfish ambition, don't, don't sit back and think you're wise. Don't, don't falsely think that. Otherwise, you're going to be like, like those Paul says of in Romans 1.22, right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now have a look at, at verse 15 here. James is describing this false wisdom with that progression. I've already mentioned it, right? That goes from bad to worse. It uh, false wisdom or earthly wisdom, is, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, he goes as far to say. Uh, false wisdom does not acknowledge God. That this way of thinking, this way of behaving jealously and selfishly ambitious, there is a, a certain logic to it, and we have to admit that. There, there is a logic to it that makes a little bit of sense, um, but it's based on false premises, right? Because it's based on this. If God does not exist, this world's all we know, there is no God. If eternity does not exist, and this is all we know, then you've got to look out for your own interests. You, you've got to take what you want and you've got to do it now because this is what life is all about. This, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom is, is actually what transpired in, in the Garden of Eden. Eden, <clears throat> you, you know, they, they didn't receive God's word as, as an authority, at least not at the moment when it's brought into question by the serpent. Uh, and, and it's made clear by the way that they just in, in, embrace his, his advice, right? This worldly wisdom that the, the serpent tells them. Eh, nothing's going to happen wrong here. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful for you. You'll get what you've always wanted. You'll, you'll be like God. And it, it's seen by Adam and Eve, right? Uh, it, it's seen by Adam and Eve right there that, that doubting the goodness of God towards them and, and finally just taking what they want, even if it's the very thing, the only thing that God actually forbid from them and, and for good reason, 
right? Like, like parents forbid their children from sticking things into the electric socket for good reason. And, and this embracing of, of worldly wisdom has continued in history. To, to today, we, we have the Kardashians, but in the 1600s, we had the Cartesians. Anyone know them? They're a little less popular. <clears throat> uh, they're named after Rene Descartes. I don't know why the D gets dropped off. Uh, the philosopher, or for your sake, whose name, you know, the, uh, the mathematician, right? But he, we're going to call him a philosopher for this sake. Uh, anyway, he constructed that little phrase that you know, uh, you can probably finish it right, I think, therefore I am, right? It's one of those things we know, I think, therefore I am. That little phrase uh, was absolutely world-changing in, in ways that we probably don't give credit to. It, it really, in the area of philosophy and, and understanding knowledge, right, it, it shifted the foundation of all knowledge, um, which was at least widely believed at the time as, uh, you know, comes from God. That's where wisdom comes from, from Scripture, that it comes not from inside of me, it comes from outside of me uh, and, and from God and His Word. And, and, and in this view, then, it, it comes from inside of self. In this view, now I am the foundation of what is true, what is really wisdom. Now it has taken hundreds of years for the flesh itself out in, in the Western culture, but it certainly has. Uh, one example of this is seen in the, the motto of, of Harvard. I'll throw you under the, your school under the bus here. Um, the original motto of, of, of Harvard, it was in Latin, I'm going to give it to you in English, was this. Truth for the sake of Christ and for the church. That was Harvard's motto, truth for the sake of Christ and for the church. It's beautiful. Uh, today, Harvard's motto is simply veritas, which is, again, Latin, right? For, but for truth. It, it lacks Christ as the foundation. It lacks Christ as the, the goal. Uh, a more a, a common, a normal, everyday example you might know is that phrase that we hear all the time, I must speak my truth, right? This idea that this truth is within me, and it's all about how I view it, and, and, and that's, that's my truth. So, so make no mistake, this embracing of, of, of earthly wisdom, it, is, it has made its way in, into the church, and into your life and my life. We, we have embraced it in ways because it's the water we swim in in some regards, uh, into our own way of thinking. And this, this earthly wisdom always views our existence as though life was all there is. This is all there is. Or at the very least, we get, we get messed up and we think, okay, life is long and eternity is, eh, short or something I don't even think about. Uh, and that's simply not reality. And, and so this section ends with James stating a simple fact. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There will be anger, there will be disunity, there will be discouragement, there will be uh, adultery and warfare and slander and theft. Worldly wisdom leads to sin in your life and it causes chaos and conflict in the communities you are part of. The rest of our passage is James explaining what godly wisdom is like, how to identify, what, what we're to aim for. This is the corrective part of it. Now, before I read this again, let me, let me tell you, these two verses are incredibly worthy, and I want you to do this, to, to go and meditate on these during the week, you know, beyond this morning. Uh, it, it, really powerful if you dig into this. Uh, and I say that because we, we live in a time of these extremes, and and while it's easy for us, I, I think, in, in the world that we are in, to see false earthly wisdom uh, uh, of what we commonly consider left-wing liberalism, right? You, you probably have no problem identifying that in your life. It is often harder for us to see false earthly wisdom at, at play in more conservative or, or, or right-wing views. Now, now listen to me here. You, you are not called to align with left-wing left or right-wing political agendas. You, Christian, are, are a child of God. 
You are called to align with God, to align with Jesus, to align with the Holy Spirit, to align with what we read and understand in Scripture. For, for example, the, the same Scriptures that lead you to believe that homosexuality is sin also call you to hold that belief, and, and if you engage with someone who disagrees with Scripture, that you do it in a godly way, a kind way, a patient way, an understanding way, a, a way that shows love for neighbor regardless of, of the way uh, of those views. And, and you know you could probably stretch out a whole bunch of other examples that we got into it, and I just want to put that out there as, as one example. Uh, as I read this, I want you to think more broadly, uh, more broadly as we read verse 17 here. Take in what is evidence of true wisdom here. James says, but the wisdom from above, right? This is godly wisdom. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. This wisdom is sincere. Again, James is teaching us that wisdom is it's not just knowledge. It's not just knowing the right words, right? It's not just being able to spit out something that you've been told is true. It's, it's, it's who you are. It's, it's who you are being as you, you live through your life. And, and, and thus, right, how you live your life in Christ, that's what we're getting at. So Sinclair Ferguson summarizes true wisdom this way. He says, true wisdom is knowing what to do and how to live for the glory of God. The ability to use whatever knowledge we have in whatever sphere we live in a way that enables us to glorify and enjoy God, expressing his glory and our joy in very practical ways and in the practical details of our lives. Well, let's, let's look at these, these different categories a little closer in verse 7, beginning with this declaration that, that wisdom from above is, is first pure. You kind of get the sense that, that James has... Uh, remembering Jesus' teaching on the Beatitudes here. You remember Matthew 5.8? Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The, the man, woman, or child who has true wisdom is, is pure, not in the sense of being perfect or without sin. We, we see that over and over again, right? But in the sense of being set apart from the world, in the, in the sense that, that you and I, as, as followers of Christ, as, as those who have been redeemed, we are wholly devoted to the Lord. And, and thus... As we saw in, in James 1 and 27, right, devoted to, to loving others well as well. But, but more to the gospel point, if, if you are to be truly wise, you, you must have been made pure by the sacrifice of, of Jesus for you. Now James continues uh, with true wisdom here. It's, it's peaceable. Again, with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peaceable, right, is the polar opposite of, uh, of the disorder that's caused by selfish ambition and earthly wisdom. And having been reconciled to God, we are to live at peace with others. Or as Romans 12, 18, right, says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Now, I'll be honest, there are some times in my life, there have been a few people that I just find myself, I don't like them. And everything in me just thinks, I don't know why, but I don't like this person. And I, I just want to like mess with their life in so many ways. And I'll tell you this, this Romans 12, 18 has been the, the, the verse that I come back to and have to just meditate on over and over and over again to get my mind back in line with what, what God calls me to in Scripture, right? If possible, so far it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. The next attribute of true wisdom is, is being gentle. Right? It's easy to be gentle when everything's fine. It's, it's a little more difficult in, in moments when it looks like conflict or when you have to correct someone. And it, you know, gentle might mean that you are confronting or correcting someone. You, but doing so with gentleness and instead of harshness does wonders. 
Right? You ever gone to the nurse and, and gotten the shot, the, uh, the shot in the arm? And sometimes they're just like jamming in there and it's it's pretty miserable experience. And other times they, they kind of massage your arm and stick it in there. Right? The, one of those is gentle. The other one is, is really harsh. And you get the medicine either way. That's true, right? You, you can say the same information either way, but, but aren't you far more willing to receive it when, when administered in a, a gentle way? It, it's a bit like that. Um, for example, in Scripture, you might think of, of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. He didn't just scream at her, your views are wrong. We worship in Jerusalem, right? There's not this big argument that it goes on. He's gentle with her. He walks along with her. He asks questions that are, are probing. He answers questions. He's gentle. Uh, fourthly, true wisdom is open to reason. This means that you are willing to change your ways when, when shown biblical right or, or just things outside of, th- like, or just logical reasons to do so. It's this willingness to obey God, to be rise, wise, rather than that stubbornness that I know we all fall into where you think, you know what, I want to win this argument. I don't even know what I'm arguing for, but I'm going to win this. I will not budge no matter what. Uh, it's that reasonableness. You, you think about... Paul, right, he commends Christians everywhere in Philippians 4 or 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Being open to reason sharply contrasts with the angry and the foolish argumenting that characterizes too many who profess the name of Christ in our day. And it's not that we shouldn't have conversations where we differ and challenge ideas even outside of these walls, Right? We should, but we must be able to do it in a way that is, matches this, that's peaceable, that's gentle, that is open to reason. Um, are you capable of changing your mind if you see a biblical reason to do so? Is there enough humility that you could do so? But fifthly, true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. We have received so much mercy and kindness at the hand of the Lord. It, there is no reason that we as, as God's children should be stingy with things like mercy and kindness to others. Now, the sixth attribute of true wisdom is impartiality, that we're not showing favoritism. We've talked about this before, right? You don't treat someone different because of their wealth or ethnicity or attractiveness or whatever, you know? Uh, and the last characteristic of the person who's truly wise is that they are sincere. Our, our English word sincere is from these two Latin words, uh, one meaning without, the other one meaning wax, right? You put them together without wax, and you think, well, that's weird. Um, it's a reference to ancient pottery. You'd have this old pottery, and they'd get these cracks and gaps in them. And, and what some of the dishonest shop people would do is they'd take wax and fill it in, which would smooth it all out, and then you paint over it. And to the normal eye, you'd think, oh, it's a great little pot, but there's cracks all over it. Uh, it's, it's this disingenuineness, to, uh, right? So it's about being real, being honest about what's going on. In our family, we, we've been running into Laura's trying to save some money on groceries lately. So instead of real Chick-fil-A sauce, she keeps bringing down these cheap chicken dipping sauces. Have you seen them? And they, she, we were like, it's the same thing. And we taste them and they're not real. She did it with Cheez-Its recently. Uh, they're not the same. They're not genuine. That's what it is. They're, they're masquerading as, as Chick-fil-A sauce or real Cheez-Its and they're just not. Anyway, as Christians, we can be sincere. We, we can try, uh, we, we can say what is true, and, and this is what's so amazing about the gospel, right? It's, it's not, you, you've come to Christ, you've received the gospel, so now pretend you're so great so everyone's impressed with you, right? We, 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 we can be honest about who we are, 
what is true because we are, we're aiming to please God more than others want and, and because we can reveal our faults and our struggles with each other. We, we, we can honestly live without wax in the way that this word is used, right? Because you know God doesn't accept you because of your reputation. He doesn't accept you because you've convinced other people that your life is all perfectly put together, but he accepts you on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. And if we're ever going to grow, it really means that we, we can be honest about things. Um, and so there's no reason for you to pretend. Our, our, our passage ends then with James writing this. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As God's children, we are to be peacemakers. We are to be those who cultivate peace in our places of work uh, and the places we learn and the places that we live, wherever it might be, that we are cultivating peace. Not at all means, right? There are times you absolutely can't avoid it. But to the degree that you can, you absolutely should. Uh, th- this harvest of righteousness that we should really consider in two ways here. First is, uh, th- this is righteousness in your own life. Uh, godly wisdom from above will grow into the fruit of righteousness in your life. It's the sanctification. Uh, Ryan talked a little about that in Sunday school this morning, right? That we are actually growing and learning and changing in, 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 in that regard. This, this is the good conduct, the beautiful conduct of verse 13. Uh, given, uh, given the section before our passage even, right, this is probably particularly true in regard to the way that we speak to others. Now the second way we're to understand righteousness here, a harvest of righteousness, has to do with the impact that our lives have on others. And, and get your head around this. Your, your life does impact others. We live in this mass media mindset where you're like, if I can't make a huge difference, what's the point? But your life actually affects the people you engage with. When you walk out of here, someone you meet at a restaurant, someone you're working with, wherever the places that God has put you, you are actually making an interest, uh, a difference in one way or the other. And the harvest here suggests that you and I are living in such a beautiful way, such an attractive way, that, that others become curiously drawn to, to God through it. I mean, there, there's something about the, the way you are handling stress or admitting that you're not handling stress well. There's something about... Um, just the way you engage with people that looks like the wisdom we see here that, that draws you to think, okay, what's, what's going on with this person? They're clearly, they're not like everyone else in this office. Uh, you know, because more and, and more your, your behavior, you're your serving others, the words you speak, the gentleness and, and peaceful disposition, even your openness to reason, all, all of it puts on display what it, what it looks like to believe the gospel, to love God, to, to rest in Jesus and let's be honest, the world needs more Christians who are truly wise in the ways that James lays out here in this passage. And so then how do we get true wisdom? Well, you, you need the gospel if you are to become more wise. You, you need all that God has done for you to just permeate your life. That becomes such a reality to you. That you know the, the love of the Lord for you. That you know His provision for you that, you. that you trust even in His providence, whatever situation you find you're in. And so listen, right, if you struggle with envy and selfish ambition, it's because you have failed to see that your, your status as a beloved child of God is, is real and secure. The, the more that we understand God's love for us, the less we are going to feel the need to prove ourselves to, or to take from others. I want all of us to be able to say, right, that, you know, God has given me the talents I have, whether great or small. He has given me my, my place in this life, whether prominent or obscure. He has... You know, whatever my lot, I know that God will bless me and I can serve Him faithfully. This way of thinking is a fruit of faith. A fruit of being at, at peace with God. And it, it frees you, you and I to, to sow peace in the community that we live in. 
You want more true wisdom, wisdom from above, then, then, then also, right, you need to be influenced more by the scriptures. And we say this over and over again because we need to hear this over and over again. I need to hear this over and over again. So don't hear it. It's going one direction here, right? But, but you need more scripture in your life and you probably need less of your favorite social media feed, less of your favorite news channel, things, things of that nature that are speaking to our life also. The, the Bible is filled with wisdom from above. And some of the books are even called, like labeled as wisdom literature. Right? It's Job, Song of Solomon, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and, and, and yet every book in here, don't, don't think that's the only place you find wisdom. Every book of your Bible, every word, right, is, is filled with wisdom. Also, if you, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. When's the last time you really prayed that? You remember back in James 1.5, he said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. When was the last time you asked God for, for wisdom in whatever situation you're in, whatever you're struggling with, the last time, you know, if you're feeling selfish ambition, if you're, you're feeling, you know, whatever it might be that you're asking the Lord for, for wisdom. Further, learn to value true wisdom. I can't talk about wisdom without at least quoting from one proverb, right? So Proverbs 3.13 beautifully says, and, and it's going to personify wisdom as a woman, so don't get confused halfway through. Uh, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. There's so much of what we, we see in this passage as wisdom from above it comes from, from resting in Jesus. And so let's you and I, let, let's let go of jealousy. Let's let go of selfish ambition. Let's, let's evaluate our lives so we can see it and, and, and get rid of it, right? And let's pursue Holy Spirit and empowered life that is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. As those who have experienced the peace of God in Christ, let us now be those who sow peace wherever the Lord leads us, wherever He has planted us. Let us pray. Lord God, grant us wisdom from above. And, and so, Holy Spirit, I, I ask you to bring about conviction for every surge of jealousy and, and all pursuit of selfish ambition that we have excused or, or coddled in our hearts and replace it with wisdom from above that is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, that's impartial and sincere, so that we will bless and serve and encourage others in our family and this covenant community and the wider culture that we live and minister among. Father, we want this wisdom from above, and so we are asking for it. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.